0: This week, we're going to be looking at married, and then next week, Danny Clark, our campus minister at College of Charleston, is going to be doing the uh, subject, I am dating. And I know we've gotten it a little bit out of order, but I have to be away next week, and I couldn't think of a more perfect person than Danny to talk about dating. And if you were married last week, I pray that because it is God's word that you were, you were blessed and you understood the place and the role of singles. If you're single this morning, I pray that you'll find and, and that you will bless the role of marrieds. And so next week you may say, I'm neither single and I'm not dating, I'm not looking to date as I'm married, that you'll again, will find that from God's word, that there's an appreciation that we can have for each person's place in relation to the Christian family. So without further ado, I- read this morning's scripture as we begin. And I know it may seem like an aerobics class, but I'm going to invite you to stand once again. What I'm getting ready to do is I'm getting ready to read from the Bible. And you don't have to go to church any time before you notice that there are people that are reading from the Bible. But it's no ordinary book. This is the portion during the service that God is going to speak to us. And everything that I do from there is just trying to to exact uh, uh, and translate in our culture, in our time, in our day, in our life situations, the application of His Word. But here's God's Word to you, beginning in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Oh great, rolled in here with this text today. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is God's word. Please be seated. May is uh, turning out to be marriage month for me. I have a marriage or a wedding that I get to officiate every weekend in May. In fact, I have to be away next weekend because I have two weddings on the same weekend. I love weddings. I love I love the premarital counseling before the wedding. I love the wedding itself and I encourage the couples to see me as vested in their union such that I become, if they're not affiliated with Two Rivers, I become their pastor at large so that I have a happy occasion many times when they will come back to Charleston. I don't know. See, Catherine Bruce is Charleston, the number one wedding destination um, in, in South Carolina. So we get a lot of out-of-towners um, who are coming here to be married. But then as they return on vacation or holiday, many times they'll invite me to come and meet with them at a Starbucks, and we'll get caught up. I love weddings. One of the things that I do is that I encourage them in the planning of their service to have some act during the service itself that they can communicate after the vows have already been exchanged after the rings are now on one another's fingers, communicating that it has begun, we have now covenanted, pledged, promised our love to one another that following that, there will be some act that they will do that will visually communicate to all of the witnesses that they are now one, that they are wed, that they are one with one another. Typically and traditionally it's a unity candle where the two come and they'll take the two burning candles and the, the one in the middle is not lit and so they'll take the two candles, the one each candle on each end, and they will light the center candle. And it's always a little bit debatable when I say, and then you'll blow out your candle and put it back and will be like, I ain't blowing my candle out. He can blow his candle out, but I ain't blowing my candle out. But, the two are becoming one. Some people use colored sand. That's very popular. It's hard to light a uni- unity candle when you're on the beach. So some people use colored sand, and the, the two colors blend. Some people, and it's, it's very fun, those that have a Scottish heritage will take a tartan. And like you might have seen in the, the forest in Braveheart, as they're wed, that, that, that tartan will be wrapped around their hands. So that it would say, this is uniting us. One of the more creative and moving that I observed was in the wedding service, the husband, now the husband, his new bride stepped away and from one of the seats, she pulled out a guitar that she presented to him. And then he, accepting this guitar... Turned and played and sang a song to her. She served him with a gift of adoration and respect. And he took that gift and he served her by expressing to all his great love for her. It was very moving to me. This morning, the Apostle Paul is writing, and it's more. Than practical advice to marriage. He reaches back to the original design in creation of marriage. And he restates it in a number of his letters as it is become advice and also God's design for marriage that is to be practiced in all of the churches. We see in Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. To the church in Colossae, he writes, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So wives, submit. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to get around that word in just a minute, okay? So stay with me. Husbands, love. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Here, Peter writing to the churches has picked this up as a rules for the Christian household and says, Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure con- uh, conduct. Martin Luther, in his catechism in the Reformation, you have these new churches that are being formed out of the Catholic Church. These new Protestant churches. What was their Christian marriage? What was their household supposed to look like? And he had in his catechism something called the Hosfallen. And the Hosfallen were the household rules or the household table of order. And there he put this section out of Ephesians 5. That both couples, both individuals, surrendered and in submission to the Lord, find themselves in marriage. And now being wed together, there's an economy that's very similar to the operation of the Trinity. There's an economy. It's called the economy of divine subordination. Divine subordination is where there is God the Father, and then there's Jesus who says, without losing any of my being, without being incomplete, I submit and I surrender that Father, you will be the head, and I will be the Son. He is no less God. He is no less a member of the Trinity. But in that family economy we now see an order that's translated to the human family where the husband is seen as the head. It says right here in verse 25, the husband is the head of the wife as even Christ is the head of the church. Now, the head of the wife is not the source of her life. When it says head, it doesn't mean that he is superior. It doesn't mean that he is the source. It doesn't mean that everything flows from him. No, it means that simply in the economy of a marriage, then he is an authority. And an authority that is not to lend itself to tyranny, but an authority that is to shoulder the responsibility of the weight of the marriage. Frankly, I am finding that in our day and age, more men are running from the responsibility than they are even running to the the tyranny. I find that more men are running from the responsibility rather than saying, I'm the head and you do it my way. Now, those jerks are still out there, okay? They're morons who think that this Scripture gives them license of tyranny. But it does not. And that's where we learn how in responsibility and authority in the home, as husbands, we are to act. And he says, women, as you come and you look to your husband, you are to respect him and his role. And husbands, you're to look to your wives and you're to love them. For you see, I want you to take out of your mind the word submission and I want you to replace it with the word respect, submission has so much baggage. Submission—we think about women being enslaved. We think about women being treated as servants uh, in the domicile. We think about women who are told to sit down and shut up, and not talk. And I'm the—that—that's ma- all nonsense. And that's not the type of submission that Paul is talking about. Let me—let me tell you why it's not. If you were to look at Galatians. Now this is the same guy who is writing here saying wives submit. In Galatians 3, Paul says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now he is not. That letter was written about the same time just a bit earlier than the letter to the church in Ephesus. So Paul is either schizophrenic Or, he is saying submission is something different. It's not because that there is not equality. It's simply that there's an economy. And God is going to hold the man the most accountable. So men, man up. And what do we do? He charges us, love your wives. John Stott, writing on this passage, says, if if, if women saw a man who loved them like Christ, then their love and their submission, their, their respect of Him, would not in any way detract from their being, but it would fulfill it. And again, it's not saying that you need a man to fulfill you. It's saying that this is how God is at work through the marriage. Women are looking for men who will love them. And men are hungry for women who will respect them. Now that's, that's basically the nutshell of the sermon. And I want to take the remaining time that I have and I want to show you a couple more things out of the Scripture, some key words, some significant ideas. But a lot of this is going to be application. I want you to see that on the surface of every man... There are a number of characteristics. Now this is women, you are called by Paul, again, let's use as a synonym for submission, the word for respect. Okay? And so these, and I do think that there, there's no order priority in these bullet points, but on the surface of every man, women, you need to know that men need respect. Secondly... Men are insecure. Now we don't show it. In fact, we go in the opposite direction. We're very defensive about being insecure. But every man in his heart, he wants to make it through. And yet there's an insecure fear that he might not make it through. Okay? Men are providers. It is very natural for us That hunter-gatherer comes out. Men want more sex. Uh, Again, this is a child-friendly sermon, so I'm not going to cover all of these things. Um, Men are visual. Men are unromantic clods. Now, we like romance. We're just klutzes when it comes to romance. Men care about appearance. And no, we don't want our wife to always look like a 10. But we also don't want her always wearing, you know, we don't want her always wearing sweatsuits around the house. Um, So men do care about what you look like, but they're not overly concerned. Okay? Men need respect. That's where I'm going this morning. And if I could just communicate to our ladies here who are married. Men hunger for respect more than love. If you were to ask a man, now I know there's exceptions and maybe you're married to him, but if you were to ask a man, you got the choice of two bad things. Either in this world you can be, loved you can be loved but disrespected or in this world you can be respected but unloved which one would you choose now I'm not going to do the survey this morning Um, but men men almost to the 99th percent say if it's a choice between those two bad things i'd rather have i'd rather walk through this life respected and unloved than loved and disrespected we there is something about how we are made and how we are wired that we hunger for the respect and in marriage for the respect of others. And in marriage, the one who intimately loves us, we look to her, we look to you ladies for respect as an act of love. In fact, if you disrespect your husband, he translates that to you don't love me. Crazy. Crazy. Let me give you a a tale. Let me tell you how you know. It's like, because men... All right, men, we need, to, we need to recognize that because we crave respect so much, that it, our, res, our respect meter is on uh, steroids. Okay? Wives, I'll give it to you. We are so, we are so uh, little boys when it comes to respect. You can say something never, never, never intending disrespect. And it's like, you don't respect me? Like, what are you talking about? Don't pull that one on me, I do. Don't respect me. So men, we we need to take the meter down a couple of decibels, a couple of notches. But women, let me tell you a big way you can know that you've crossed the line. How do you know with this guy who sees your respect as love and when he feels disrespect, feels like you don't love him. How does this man who needs and wants your respect, how do you know if you've crossed the line? And have been disrespectful. Check anger. Does he get angry? Does he get angry? Now, I am not in any way justifying inappropriate anger. And the summit is not on men's anger, which is a whole issue in and of itself. There's a lot to say about anger that's out of bounds. But anger to a man is like tears to a woman, to a woman. You know, I don't completely understand tears, but when Wendy cries, then I know she feels very unloved. She's hurt. She is hurt to her heart, and the signal of that, the the dashboard light that goes off, is really the the windshield washer. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, okay. Well, for men, the signal that we're hurt, the signal that we feel disrespect is anger. Now again, I'm not trying to justify irrational, out-of-bounds anger, but there is a rationale for why men get angry. Um, Notice that in this text, Paul didn't say wives... He didn't say husbands, respect your wives. Now, there's plenty that he's not saying disrespect them, not at all. But he's saying it's particularly if you've got one chief goal in your marriage relationship with your husband, it's to respect him. In verse 33, there's a word there, key word, respect. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. He's boiling it down again to like a catechism. This is the rule. This is what it should look like. This is how to have harmony in the marriage. The man needs respect. You need love. And we tend, we tend already to be giving that that we most want. So I tend to have a... A lot of respect for Wendy, and she tends to love me very well. But I need to love her more and be more focused on that rather than simply demanding from her what I crave. But here he says that word for respect. See that she respects her husband is the word that we use and get for the English phobia, fear. But it doesn't, it's wrongly translated here as we do in the English to mean that you're afraid of Him. You're not supposed to be fearful of Him. But it's an it's a awe. It's a revering. It's an adoring. An adoring fear. It's a supportive fear. It's, it's I trust you. For more often as not, that's what we're hearing when women in the marriage show us disrespect, we feel like they don't trust me to provide. They don't trust me to solve. They don't trust me to act. They don't trust me. Do you remember uh, the movie The Natural? Robert Redford's a baseball player. Through his natural ability to hit the ball, he has just risen through the ranks. He's now a professional baseball player, but he's had a huge slump. And he comes out to bat for his team. And he just gets boos, boos, boos. Strike one. Strike two. He's not changing anything. And it looks like he's going to strike out again as he just kind of comes up. And the sun's shining bright. And he's hearing the boos. But then as he's getting ready to, to strike the pitch, he notices in the stand that a woman in white has stood up. Surrounded by men who are booing the hitter, she stands up and he sees her. It's, it's someone that he had a, a, a relationship with years ago, but just through the sport they've become separated. And she stands. The ball comes across, he hits it, home run home run. Notice she didn't stand up and said, "Hey, listen, you need to hold that bat a little bit higher." Hey, "Hey, listen, listen, I own the ball, I own the ball." She didn't say any of that. She just stood for that man in support amidst all of those people that were booing him. And that was enough for him to hit her home run. Women, if you want your man to hit a home run in life, stand in support, and particularly stand in support of him publicly. Now, I've got to leave this, but let me give you a couple of Phil Stogner's um, do's and don'ts. Number one, don't control me. Don't control me. Number two, don't remind me. Don't remind me. I got it. I even think about it in my sleep. That to-do list. Number three, and this is the most important right here. Most important. And I'll give you a magic bullet before I go on to the men. Don't ever put me down. Don't even do it in a joking way in front of another man. Remember, guys are insecure too. Don't ever put me down in front of another man. This is a that's big. That's big. Now you may say, What <laughs> you're just so sensitive. What would you feel, ladies, if your husband with other couples having a nice glass of wine and cheese with some friends and everything and just joking, he said, Yeah, she's put on ten pounds lately. Dead. But in the presence of other men, Yeah, I can't get him to fix the toilet. (laughs) Why? You just did that in front of other men who I want to look good to those guys. I want to be strong in front of those guys. Maybe they're even, I work in the same environment with them and they're thinking, yeah, if he can't control the home, if he can't, if he doesn't have her respect, I ain't going to respect him in the workplace. Now again, I know maybe I'm exaggerating here, but Let me tell you the magic bullet. The magic bullet, adore me publicly. And I'm not talking about, oh, no, I'm talking about show respect to me to the degree that you make other women jealous of your husband. Oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you what he did the other day. Let me tell you, he took the kids to the park. I mean, he just, I mean, he came and he said, Honey, I just want you to take that bubble bath, open up a nice bottle of wine, and here's a good book. I got the kids. We're gone for the day. i won't come back. We're going to have dinner together. All right? That's great, right? But who knows it? If that man overhears his wife gossiping about him, saying, Let me tell you about my man. And he looks and he says, That's a magic bullet. What's happening is you're showing. You're showing again that you have such a respect for him, and he translates that as trust and love. Okay, men, we're not off the hook. And because of time, I've chosen that I'm only going to preach on the women this morning, and so we're getting ready to end with the benediction. Can't do it. All right, but I'm going to have to be more brief. And I apologize to women for that, but men are simpletons, so I think I can keep it very simple and get through with this in a fair amount of time. But Paul has three times as much to say to men as he does to women. There are three verses, three verses in this Hosphalon, house rules, house order for women. There are nine verses for men. And he keeps it very simple. Because we're so simple, he says, love. Love them. Love your wives. Love them. And um, on the surface of every woman, on the surface of every woman, we find these things. Women need to feel loved. Number two, women are emotional. Feelings are are critically important and just like men are on hair trigger about up you're showing me disrespect that was a disrespectful tone or that women are on hair trigger with feelings oh he doesn't love me oh relationships in trouble women want security women want a listening ear not a fix guys we are fixers we are fixers but our wives many times will feel that something is much better fixed if we just listen. Women do not crave sex. Now this is not to say that women do not want sex. Certainly not true. It's just to say they don't have that craving. It's just not like a splinter in their mind that never goes away. Women want to be beautiful. All women want to be seen as beautiful. It's the way that their creator made them. And all women are beautiful. And husbands do well to call it out frequently. I, uh, I looked at this, and I thought, I get it. Wendy wants to be loved more than she wants to be respected. And it's mutual, Husbands, we're to... Wives, you're to love your husbands, and men, we're to respect our wives. But, husbands, when you get married, you're like me. You're thinking, ha, ha, man, cheated, cheated, and I won. She doesn't know who she's getting, but I got her, I got her. Man, the deal is closed. This thing is under contract. We've got our witnesses, you know. But Wendy... Our wives, men, the relationship is always on their mind. We're thinking the deal is closed, and they're thinking there are loopholes in the deal. And I don't ever want to exercise those loopholes, and I don't want him to ever exercise those loopholes. So in our conversations and in our day-to-day life, they're thinking relationships just like men are thinking about providing. They're constantly asking, how is our relationship doing? Is our relationship okay? Are we okay? Men, we're oblivions. We're oblivions. But they're thinking relationship. Is it okay? I've got to do something when I get home. Uh, well, first of all, I've got to tell Wendy, yeah, I know that I'm a hypocrite and all the stuff that I'm telling you to do that I don't do in my house. Um, and then probably apologize if I've used an illustration with her in it inappropriately. But one of the things I've got to do when I get home is I've got to find the chirping smoke detector. My home must have 10 of those suckers. And they all need a battery at different times. And yes, I would do well, guys. Some guys are going to say, well, let me tell you what I do. I'm an engineer and I replace them all whether they need at one time. I don't do that. I'm a tight pastor, so I do it one at a time. And the indication is, is when it starts to chirp. And i hear that chirp, chirp. And I'll know that a smoke detector is soon going to go whack, whack, whack. And because they're wired together, they're all going to do that. And it drives me nuts, that little chirp. And men, our wives can drive us nuts. Hey, we need to talk. You want to talk? Let's talk. No, I'm I'm good. I got some stuff to do in the garage. You know, I need some man cave time. I mean, we're good, right? No, we need to talk. Do you love me? These are chirps that can drive guys crazy until we realize that they're really distress calls. Now, we're not in the danger, you know, die zone yet, but you're going to get there if you don't pay attention to the chirp. The alarms are going to go off. When our wives are saying, do you love me? They're saying, is our relationship okay? When, when our wives are saying, we need to talk, they're saying, I want to check on our relationship. It's a chirp. And things like conflict, when we get in conflict with our wives, what they are hearing are, you, is, you are displeased with me. And that's, you're going to exercise a loophole, and you're going to leave or you're going to get me out. And then on top of that, we have the conflict and I withdraw. I'm like, "Whoa, I got to take time. I just I'm going to the back cave for a while, okay? Hey, me and the boys, we're going out for a little bit or I'm going out to the pond. I mean, we're I got to take a walk, the dog or something like that." We withdraw and what they hear is, "What if he doesn't come back?" We think we're cooling off and they're thinking, "He may not return this time." Or we get quiet. We just get silent. And they're thinking, does He not care? Does He not care about the relationship? And to top it all off, there may not be conflict. It may be that our wives are just so sick and tired from the kids, or they're so sick and tired from work, that emotionally and physically, they're just exhausted. And they're saying, how are we doing? That fuels me. If we're okay, it'll be all right. Well, guys, Paul keeps it very simple. He says, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. And I want to give you two things as we get ready to wrap here. Two things to do. And one of them is the magic bullet. Two things that you're to do. Number one, reassure them that you're all right. Reassure husbands you want to love your wives, reassure them that you love them. And that means verbally, not just physically. Well, baby, I'll show you that I really love you here. I'll sh- no, no. Tell me. Tell me. And tell me not simply, not simply during a romantic evening. Don't tell me simply then that you love me. Don't tell me simply in the morning. Here's the... Here's the. If you look at verse 26, I never saw this. I was reading uh, John Stott on Ephesians uh, this last week. And he quotes this guy, Marcus Barth. And I've never seen his work, but I'm intrigued. Because verse 26 says, Husbands, you're going to sanctify. You're going to make your woman more radiant, more glorious in Christ if you'll do this having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. What is the Word? I always assumed that it meant preach to them. All right, let me tell you what God's Word says here. No. Marcus Barr says this, the Word is... Now this is the Word that's going to wash your wife. This is the Word that's going to make her radiant. This is the Word that is going to, to make her glow and to feel... I am a woman in Jesus. The word is, I love you. The bridegroom says this word to his bride, and he says it publicly, and he says it privately, uniting her to him. It is a solemn word, I love you, of covenant love. And our wives cannot hear it too often. Here's a magic bullet. But you got it, you gotta keep it like Barney in your pocket. You gotta be ready to use this bullet, guys. And I got this, I got this from another woman. Actually a, a, a group of women that I've systematically polled. I said, would this work for you? And they said absolutely every time. The next time you're in a conflict with your wife, men at some point in that conflict, look her in the eye, and if she will allow you to touch her, that's a, that's a bonus, but you may not be, the conflict may have escalated way too far. Don't touch me. But look her in the eye and say, I'm angry right now, and I need to go and check my feelings. I need to go and sort my feelings but I want you to know that we're okay. We're okay. This is a bump. I'm angry, and I need some time. I need some space, but we're okay. That is the magic bullet. You see, it's not the solution to the problem. It's not you caving in. No, they just need to know we are in an issue right now, but the relationship is okay. Number two thing to do. Pursue them. Pursue them. The things that you did when you were dating and engaged, I mean, that turned her on then. <laughs> that, that, that got her to the altar then. So if you find yourself in a stale marriage, consider pursuing her again. I had a, uh, I had a counseling situation one time where I thought the couple would never get back together. They were separated, headed toward divorce. And I asked them, because they were like two teenagers in love, uh, the, the next time I saw them, which was months and months later, and I asked them, I said, wow, what turned it around? You know what, what, what turned it around? And she said, he came after me. Always before, he never came after me. This time he came after me. He pursued her. He pursued her. She had separated herself and gone, and he said, I'm not satisfied with that. I want our relationship back. I want our relationship. And he pursued her. This, um, this morning, we have a table that if we were to project to the future, it says that this table is going to be the... Um, is going to be the the marriage table in heaven. And it speaks of our union with God. And if, you, if I were a good Baptist preacher, not to dig on the Baptists, but I, this happens a lot. This would be a great place to have an altar call and have people, you know, have men, particularly those who are married, say, I am going to show love to my wife and I pledge that publicly. And Women to come forward. I'm going to show respect to my man. I pledge it. But have you asked yourself, in my marriage right now, where do I get the energy and the strength to do this? It's the gospel. You don't have the strength. Men, you don't have the strength and the fuel. You're wanting to be loved too. How do you love another person when you want to be loved? Women, show respect to that. <laughs> how do I show respect to that? You don't know how pastor Phil, how I've been hurt. Or how he's broken the trust. How I, I mean, where does it come from? The wherewithal to do it. It is not inside of us. It is not natural to us. We are naturally selfish. And we are naturally hurt and hurtful and hurting. It comes from the gospel. That's why we've included in this text, verse 18, where he says, in verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery but be filled with the spirit. Martin Lloyd Jones when he preached on this text verse 18 he used an illustration out of pharmacology and he said alcohol is a depressant wherever you look wherever you look alcohol is characterized as a depressant not a stimulant a depressant but he said wherever you look in the scriptures the Holy Spirit, which is the personal presence of Jesus Christ. The personal presence of Jesus Christ, the abiding Holy Spirit, is a stimulant. That's where it begins. And then we get to verse 21. It says, submit to one another. We submit to all. I cons- as I am now submitted to Christ, I can submit to others. Who's going to take care of me if I submit to everybody else? Christ is going to take care of me. Verse 29. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. And that may be a throwaway mark, but what we realize as we come to this table again and again is this is a table of good news. Christ was not reluctant to die for us. He did it because He cherished us. You're His babies. You're His bride. You're the one. For him, he cherishes us. He loves us. That's good news. And to the degree that I hook my heart into that love, I can submit and love others. Fueled by that, I've got love that abounds. Because to the degree that I experience his love, to that same degree, I can now love others. That's the fuel. And this is this is a station where we energize it. There's the battery I've got to take home. Tim Keller says, "If God had the gospel of Jesus' salvation in mind when He established marriage, then marriage only works to the degree that approximates the pattern of God's self-giving love in Christ. "Start here," Paul says. Do for your spouse what God did for you in Jesus." and the rest will follow. This battery, charged, as it were, by God's Spirit within, the Gospel, the good news of Christ's love for me, I can now put that in the, the chirping monitor, and it's satiated. it's satisfied. And yes, when I feel that in my marriage I'm not respected, or if I feel that I'm not loved, I can certainly look to Jesus Christ to make up that difference even as he continues to answer my prayers for the other person in their behalf. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this table, I pray now that even now you prepare our heart. Our heart is not good and therefore we don't come to this table because we're perfected yet. We come to this table because we're hungry. We're hungry for more of your love that could express itself in such a Christ-honoring manner in all of our relationships. And to this end, we pray you use this table in Christ's name. Amen.